Hi, true crime fans. You're tuning into Coffee, Murder, and Mystery, a true crime podcast where we discuss murder, mystery, and the supernatural. Don't forget to hit subscribe. Hi, I'm Melissa. I'm Jeff. Today's story, we're taking you back to the 1960s to a man who just wanted to take his family on an ocean vacation. Imagine taking your family on a week's vacation on a charter boat, starting at Fort Lauderdale and heading to the Bahamas. It sounds like paradise, right? Unless your boat is captained by Julian Harvey. Dr. Arthur DePerel had dreams of the ocean and wanted to share his dreams with his family. He had served in the Navy and loved the sea. He had a courtship with a beautiful woman who worked as a secretary at the FBI headquarters in Washington, D.C. Arthur and Jean married in December of 1944. After his time in the service, Arthur became a very well-regarded doctor of optometry. He was one of the first to choose to sell the new, innovative, risky technology, the contact lens. The doctor, as he was called by his friends, and his family had a beautiful life. They lived on an acre of land in a white stucco house in Wisconsin on the edge of the city in a country-like setting near a country club. The family was active in the country club, church, the children got good grades in school, and from all accounts, they seemed like the actual picture-perfect family. There was a time when the doctor was even regarded as a hero when he dived into the water saving a local child that had slipped through their floaty. He had dreams of spending a year with his family sailing and had even made arrangements with the children's school for them to be out for a year. His wife, Jean, would keep the children's studies up during their year at sea, and he found someone to take over his optometry practice for the year as well. In 1961, he chartered a boat named the Bluebell to take him, wife Jean, and children Brian, Terry Joe, and Renee on a dream vacation. He chartered the Bluebell for just a week at first, a test run to see how the family would like it, and if all went well, he would extend the vacation. After all, for years, he would look out onto Lake Michigan, yearning for the saltwater smell and the vastness that came with the ocean, and his dream of sailing for a year might soon become a reality. Departing on November 8th, the vacation was going well. It was a nice change from the cold winter months of Wisconsin. The two families, the Duperrolds and Captain Harvey and his wife, were all getting along and seeing the sights must have been a beautiful and exciting adventure for the children. And the doctor must have loved being the one to have shown it to them all. But Captain Julian Harvey had an agenda and it would leave their beautiful vacation with a tragic ending. It was on night five when 11-year-old Terry would retire below deck, leaving the two families above. She was relaxing, probably enjoying the rhythm of the waves, when Terry heard screaming and stomping. She started to get up, but it stopped. She eventually decided to go up to the deck to see what all the fuss was about. And to her horror, She saw the body of her mother and brother laying limp in a bloody mess. Asking Captain Julian what was happening, he slapped her, kind of pushing her back down, telling her to go below deck. 
Carrie, a frightened 11-year-old girl, now finding herself stuck on a boat with no control over anything that was happening, did what she was told. But as Terry waited for anything to happen to relieve her from this nightmare, the boat started filling up with water. She ran to the upper deck and asked Captain Julian if the boat was sinking, in which he replied, yeah, it was. And he asked her if she had seen the lifeboat. Terry said she had, and she showed him. Captain Julian said he needed to get something and had Terry hold the line to the lifeboat. But Terry didn't hold the line. She ended up dropping it. And Captain Julian jumped overboard and made it to the lifeboat safely, leaving Terry there to go down with the ship. So people think that he was probably going to get something to like whack her over the head with while she held the line before he could make his dramatic escape. Right, and she would state many years later in a television interview with Matt Lahr that she didn't really think so. Um, she specifically said, quote, I think he probably thought I would go down with the ship. Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, he probably could have just tossed her over the side. I mean, he doesn't necessarily have to kill her, like, with his hands. Right, well, I mean, even leaving her on the ship. Right, you know, he, either way. Yeah, it's all but killing her. you don't want, if you're, if you're trying to row away on the lifeboat, you don't want her, like, swimming behind you. But Terry wasn't just smart. She had a will to live. She remembered during these stressful moments, and it's not just a regular stress, right? It's the kind of stress that comes from the knowledge that your mother and brother were lying there dead. Terry remembered that there was a cork and canvas float, a small raft, and she managed to untie it, get in it, and launch it just as the ship went down. But of course, Terry was not out of the woods yet. Not only was she alone, she had no supplies, no food, no water, and nothing to keep her warm at night or to shelter her from the hot sun during the day. The only thing for Terry to do was float for what have must have seemed like an eternity in the vastness of the ocean. After only 12 hours on the water in his lifeboat, Captain Julian had been rescued by the crew of the Tanker Gulf Lion pulling up a body of a small drowned girl he had with him. He had told his rescuers a story of a sea squall striking and bringing down the mask and holding the ship's hull, causing a rupture in an auxiliary gas tank and setting the ship aflame. He had, from his account, found little Renee floating in the water and tried to save her but could not revive her. Her autopsy did show that she had drowned. So, he killed his wife, the mother, the father, and two of the kids. Yes. And left the other one to, like, that just seems so strange. Well, and that's why people tend to think that when he walked away and said he had to get something, he was going to get something to kill her. But since she had dropped the the line of the lifeboat, he wanted to catch the boat, so he decided to let her go down with the ship. <laughs> right, because you can't miss your only opportunity to get on something that floats. And not in the ocean. And he, so he, and he takes the smallest one with him, the youngest, like he was the hero, or tried to be the hero to save one of them. Correct. That's pretty clever. Right, and I Evil, mean, I clever. think that he probably did drown her. I mean, she could have drowned on her own just in the mess, but... You know, she was the littlest and least likely to fight, right? So, Man, this dude was cold. Yeah. Captain Harvey. 
A news article from the Desert Sun in 1961 stated that Harvey had told his friends a slightly different story than authorities. I want to read a small excerpt directly from the newspaper. James C. Boozer, a personal friend of Harvey, said that he had given a statement to Coast Guard investigators Friday, quoting Harvey as saying, he lost his nerve and left the others after the vessel was hit by a storm. Boozer said Harvey seemed under terrific emotional strain, but had finally told the story after making Boozer take a vow on Lance, Harvey's 13-year-old son, never to reveal the secret. Boozer said he decided to disclose the story to the Coast Guard after talking with a minister. He said Harvey related that the mast of the sailboat had broke and knocked his wife, Mary Dean, and Dr. Arthur DePerrault, Terry Joe's father, into the sea. I lost my nerve when I saw the wood and guts on the deck and I jumped overboard. Boozer quoted Harvey as saying, The next thing I think I knew, I was pulling the little girl into the boat with me. 84 hours later, that's three and a half days, Nicholas Spachidakis was on the Captain Theo. He was second in command on the ship and he was staring out into the water on the Northwest Providence Channel, which is a strait dividing the two major islands in the Bahamas. He was just standing there, overlooking the ocean's beauty, when amongst the hundreds of boats, something caught his eye. It blended in with the white caps of the water, but he kept staring, curious as to what it could be, a tiny dot on the channel. It was too big to be debris, but much too small to be another boat. Small crafts didn't come out into these waters. Informing the captain, they headed for it. It was about a mile away from them. Imagine their surprise when they found a small blonde 11-year-old, delirious, dehydrated, and starving. A few more hours and they probably would have found her dead. She stared up at them, shielding the sun from her eyes with her arm. They took a picture of her at that moment, and it went onto the covers of newspapers and magazines everywhere. It was on the cover of Life magazine. So because she was on this tiny cork and board float. Yeah, so this is not what I pictured. Like, you can look it up pretty easily on the internet as far as, like, what the actual raft looked like. I saw a picture of a dude holding it. So it's basically like, it's about four feet by two feet. It's rectangular shape with like rounded edges, but the middle is just a net. Like it has no like actual like bottom on it. So they had to make a makeshift raft just to get to her. They were afraid of toppling her little tiny lifeboat, sending her into the water. And it didn't take the captain long to notice the sharks swarming her. But the men managed to pull her aboard this little makeshift life raft and hoisted her limp body up with a bowline to pull her aboard. And then she just collapsed. But her brave rescuers took care of her. I got chills when I read about these grown men with tears in their eyes carrying her to a cabin and tending to her every need trying to get her back to consciousness, giving her sips of water and orange juice as they wiped the salt off of her and thank God they found her because we all know the things that can happen if 
someone as evil as the man that killed her entire family that day would have found her. But these men got her to the hospital in the nick of time. This whole story actually brought about some pretty big changes in uh, marine safety. After this incident happened, all life rafts were to be made like a universal bright orange color. And it's not just like, you know, the Bahamas decided to do it. Like, everyone across the entire globe decided to change the color of life rafts. Like, that's that's pretty huge. Yeah, it's pretty important. Yeah, they, they said that, like, a plane crossed over her. Multiple boats were near her. It was She was just too small in her white boat. It just looked like a white cap on the ocean. They just could not see her. And even orange isn't, like, necessarily the easy... Nothing's easy to see in the ocean. Harvey was told when Terry Joe had been rescued and showed excitement. But when he found out that she was recovering, he would check into a hotel under a fake name and commit suicide with a razor blade. Authorities suspect that Captain Julian, who was a World War II veteran and Korean War pilot, had plotted to kill his wife for $20,000 insurance money. When today, that would be like $175,000. Just to, like, in, in the times in 1961, $20,000, today would be quite a bit more, but still. You know, he killed, he tried to kill, like, six people. Right, because when the others heard the commotion, he resorted to killing them, too. All but little Terry Joe, whom he thought he'd left for dead, but he wasn't counting on the 11-year-old's strength and will to live. Captain Julian had also been married six times, and he was once in a car accident with a former wife and her mother, in which he was the only survivor. And he'd also had two other boats sink under suspicious circumstances, a yacht named the Torbatross and a powerboat named the Valiant, both of which he was able to collect insurance money on. So, not an upstanding citizen, apparently, Captain Julian. This wasn't the end of this tragedy for Terry. Her family's attacker may have been dead, But now she would have to spend the rest of her life living with the loss of her entire family. She would go on to live with her grandmother and aunt, who basically took a don't-mention-the-situation approach. What? (laughs) Well, but I mean, like, how do you even handle that? That would be hard. I mean, they've lost their family members as well. They've now took on a new child. It is the 70s, let's not forget. Yeah, I mean, I get it, but this, like you said earlier, this was a huge story. National news. Right, and I think that they probably felt the don't mention it approach and try to live normally approach was maybe better because, you know, she was always bombarded with it. I'm not saying that was better, but they did take her to therapy. Um, She really didn't talk much to the therapist. Hmm, I'd be talking to, like, someone about a book deal. Maybe a movie of the week. She stated that going to school was hard. Being around people was hard because everyone knew what she had been through and she knew what was on everyone's mind. During an interview with Barry Leibowitz, senior writer at 48 Hours Mystery, about her new book, which you should totally read. It is so good. It's called Alone Orphaned on the Ocean. Terry would say the following when asked why she was telling her story 50 years later. Quote, I always believed I was saved for a reason, but it took me 50 years to gain the strength to be able to give other people hope with my story. If just one person goes on to heal from a life tragedy, my journey will have been worth it. 
I am a sole survivor trying to reach other survivors. It took me so long, but I want people to understand that there is no timeline with healing. It is never too late. That is a really long time. During a 2010 Today Show interview written by Matt Salizic, Terry stated, quote, Everyone was told not to speak to me about it, so I never was able to talk about it. It was always in my mind. I did see a psychiatrist, but he didn't really get to the meat of what was my problem, and that was the loss of my family. I didn't witness any killing. I did see my mother and brother dead with blood. I never saw my father, and I never saw Miss Harvey, and I never saw my sister. Terry grew into a very successful woman despite her hardships. She was drawn to the water, believing it protected her those three days that she was with it. Degree built a good career for herself, protecting the waterways, and never feared or avoided the ocean. She married and had three children, and I think her husband also had three children from a previous marriage. This is something that I absolutely love about this story. Because this was a woman who had lost her family and she spent the second half of her life, from what it sounds like to me, surrounded by family. Well, I bet they could make a killer movie about this. There was a movie actually that was, I didn't get the name of it. It wasn't specifically about this, but it kind of followed her story. I'm just thinking of like today's technology and all the CGI and all that. Like You could really... You could really do some stuff. So that wraps up our podcast for today. Thank you very much for listening. You can look us up on Facebook. We're on the web at www.coffeemurderandmystery.com. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or contributions, you can email us at coffeemurdermystery at gmail.com. And we now also have a YouTube channel. Right. That is really difficult to find. Google it. Don't look it up on YouTube. If you search for it on YouTube, uh, Coffee and Murder Mystery, you won't find it probably. Uh, But if you Google it, you will find it. So you can think of it like your own little detective project. We're we're looking into fixing that. Um, Eventually, all the videos or all the uh, podcasts will be up on there. It's nothing fancy, just the audio. Um, There's not like actual video to it, but you can check it out on YouTube. And if you like it, hit the follow, hit the subscribe, and we'll get all the episodes up there as soon as we can. Stay safe. Evil people are everywhere. Tell somebody you love them. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to Coffee, Murder, and Mystery. The information provided in this podcast is solely of our opinion and based upon research that we have conducted via the internet. If you feel that we have represented something inaccurately or unfairly, then you can go tell it to your diary. Or you can send us an email at coffeemurdermystery at gmail.com. Thanks for your support. <laughs>